meet your Thunderbolts. The Thunderbolts? Are they the exciting new heroes the world needs? Thunderbolts, strike! Today makes at least half a dozen times the Thunderbolts have done the job we used to depend on the Avengers for. It allowed us to move among you, disguising who we really are. The Masters of Evil! In what is now becoming an old story, the Thunderbolts once again save the city. Enough of this hero talk. You will do as you're told. But... He's right. You may be wearing a Songbird costume, but underneath you're just screaming me. I can expose all of you right now. So you see, you really have no choice. You know what? We're done playing these parts. It's time to live these parts. No one betrays Zemo. Figures, just when we go in on this hero, and our blood runs out. Avengers, Defenders, Thunderbolts, I make any team better. We're Norman Osborn's A-team, and he's the big man in charge now. This isn't the team I used to lead. You, honey, are under arrest. You have to fight for what's right every single day, bulletproof skin or not. The Thunderbolts have worked hard to change people's minds about us, but apparently we've got a ways to go. Hello folks and welcome back to Justice Not Entirely Dissimilar to Lightning, the fan hole spin-off podcast that talks about Thunderbolts, the Marvel comic where Marvel supervillains masquerade as heroes and seek redemption slash world domination slash, you know, whatever else, basically. It, it goes on. It's, it's a long-running series, but uh, with me tonight are... Hey, what's up? This is Derek, Derek W.C., and I am the mad Justin. <laughs> As opposed to the normal or temperate Justin. Perfectly sane. Yes. Perfectly regal. Yes, indeed. But if you you know, if you haven't caught on by now, we're this is basically an index show. We're going through every chronological appearance of the Thunderbolts until the end of time, basically. Like I've locked you guys into this now, so you have to commit. It's like, do you know what happened to Chucko when he Decided to not do the Thunderbolts podcast. Uh, spoil, spoilers, but isn't this what happened to Techno? Like later on, he's <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of like weird time loop. loop yeah. It's okay. I can get out of it. It's okay. Uh, it's fine. You just need a little girl that's a cosmic cube to fix that. Yeah. Like or Franklin Richards, who is in this very issue we're going to discuss tonight. Yes, Franklin. Like, yes, I know. Like Derek, I know Derek. He's one of your favorite characters. Like, so I figured, my man, <laughs> Franklin. Yeah. I figured you'd enjoy this one, but yeah, yes. like the the first half of this show, we'll be talking about issue number two of of Thunderbolts, and then uh, we're going to talk about a short story from what is it, Tales of the Marvel Universe, Derek. It is... I See, I can never freaking remember what this thing is called, so I have to write it down. It is called Tales of the Marvel Universe. It was like a one-shot that was... It, it, it's kind of like... You, you know how, like, currently they have that Marvel Legacy book? It's like the high seller where it's trying to, like, sort of get people hyped for all the Marvel Legacy titles. Like, this yeah. was kind of the same thing, but back in 1997, it's like they had a little... A little bit of Kazar, a little bit of Doctor Strange, a little bit of everything, so. Yeah, that's what I figured. But, uh, yeah, there was, like, I don't know, it's it's like, what, seven or eight pages, I think? Like, dedicated yeah, the, to the Thunderbolts. Yeah, the, the Thunderbolts yeah. story, yeah, is about tantamount to seven yeah, or eight so pages, we'll, we'll yeah. toss that in to the end. And then, in the second half of this episode, we will be talking about Captain America 192, which is the uh, first appearance of Carla Soften, a.k.a. Moonstone, so... Uh, you know, that's, that's if you haven't been listening to the show so far, and I don't know why you'd be listening to this episode without listening to the other ones, but, uh, you know, that's what we do. We we do an uh, issue from the main series, and then we'll do a, like, sort of uh, issue that has historical relevance to Thunderbolts in general. I guess, you know, I'll, I'll start off by giving a summary of issue number two. Issue two is has a cover date of May 1997. Uh, it's written by Kurt Busiek, of course, and penciled by Mark Bagley. The story's title is Deceiving Appearances. We open on Atlas watching a news story on the T-Bolts foiling a bank robbery by the Circus of Crime. Citizen V calls on him for a task, and Atlas asks if he imagined that they'd be this successful in their heroic endeavors so quickly. Citizen V, with a smirk, says no, 
as he once again reflects on his plan to replace Earth's heroes that vanished in the Onslaught incident. On the TV, we see a report of a memorial statue to said heroes being unveiled in Central Park, and that Franklin Richards and Alicia Masters will be in attendance. In the vault, the Mad Thinker watches this report and smiles, putting his latest scheme into action. Meanwhile, above the rooftops of New York City, Mach 1 and Songbird engage in some aerial maneuvers, with Songbird still uncomfortable with her new ability to fly. Mach 1 gives her some advice on aerial combat, and after being called Abner, requests that Songbird call him Abe for short. The two then share a brief kiss, but Songbird suddenly breaks away in fear, knocking Abe over with a sonic shout and saying she can't be close to anyone again, flying away. In the basement of the Thunderbolt's rickety headquarters, Citizen V and Atlas work to reinforce the building's foundations when a frustrated Techno barges in, demanding to be allowed the use of his lab and tools. He's starting to lose it, being cooped up in such squalid conditions, and Meteorite steps in to calm him down by grabbing him by the throat and telling him that their current base is key to their image as idealists who have sacrificed all for their mission. If they showed they had state-of-the-art equipment, the public wouldn't think they needed anything more. At the Central Park Memorial to the Fantastic Four and the Avengers, Franklin Richards says a few inspiring, if grammatically strangled, words about his family and the heroes that were lost. As the statue is unveiled, the Mad Thinker, who is suddenly no longer in the vault, summons an awesome android to attack the stage. The android tosses security around and heads right towards Franklin as the mayor calls upon his liaison, Dallas Riordan, to summon the Thunderbolts via the pager they gave her. Elsewhere and far away, the kidnapped Holly Takahama huddles in fear in her dirty cell, dreading the next test that will be performed on her. Hideous, inhuman arms appear to drag her out, and she screams the entire way. Back in New York, the Thunderbolts arrive to intercept the awesome android before it can kidnap Franklin. Adapting to the new situation, the android splits off into six opponents for the T-Bolts to combat, and the battle is joined. It goes poorly for the team at first, as the androids seem able to adapt to each of the T-Bolts' abilities, and one manages to snatch Franklin and fly away. Songbird and Mach 1 fly after him in pursuit, and the rest of the android duplicates retreat as well, forcing the others to follow. Songbird manages to pluck Franklin out of the android's grasp, but the other duplicates soon catch up and put her and Mach 1 on the defensive again. They retreat with Franklin into the nearby Four Freedoms Plaza, the abandoned HQ of the Fantastic Four, which has been unoccupied since the team's apparent demise. The other T-Bolts reach the building and begin engaging the androids once more. Franklin is saved from being grabbed again by someone who fires a red energy beam. He mistakes it for Cyclops' optic blast, but it is Techno who proclaims, You don't need no stinkin' X-Men, youngster, not when you've got the Thunderbolts. Franklin totally falls for this obvious marketing ploy, and will surely ask his Aunt Alicia to buy him some new Thunderbolts toys once this ordeal is over. Outside, the Mad Thinker watches Four Freedoms Plaza from the ground, and decides to take a more direct hand in the action. He forms a rocket pack out of his back and flies up and into the building. Inside, Techno informs Citizen V that he isn't able to interface with any systems in the place, and Franklin confirms that his grandfather made sure to remove any sensitive equipment that the Fantastic Four had so the government wouldn't get it. The Mad Thinker appears before them and demands they hand over the boy. He also recognizes that Citizen V and his team are no amateurs, but he cannot place where he's encountered them before. Citizen V and the Thinker engage in combat as the villain explains why he wants Franklin, so he can access the boy's subconscious memory and perhaps learn some scientific secrets of Reed Richards that his son had been witness to. Citizen V compliments this plan, but also recognizes that this Mad Thinker he is fighting is nothing more than one of the real Mad Thinker's robotic stand-ins. He quickly ends the fight by decapitating his opponent, and without the primary control unit, all the other androids attacking the T-Bolt cease functioning. Citizen V skewers the ThinkBot's head on his sword, and makes a truly awful pun about it. Soon thereafter, Franklin explains what happened to the mayor and how the T-Bolts rescued him. 
Citizen V explains how the real Mad Thinker is likely still incarcerated, but they were unable to check up on that immediately since they don't have the security clearance or equipment to do something like that. Taking the bait, the mayor proposes that the T-Bolts move into the abandoned Four Freedoms Plaza, and the city will hold a fundraiser to bankroll the team's heroic activities in the future. Franklin, having been suckered by the newest toys on the shelves, eagerly gives his approval for this idea. As events continue to move in the T-Bolt's favor, Meteorite takes stock of the situation and notices how much her teammates are enjoying their new circumstances. Songbird and Mach 1 are eagerly palling around with police officers and the press, and Atlas even asks Dallas out. Meteorite realizes that these feelings of acceptance in their new heroic roles might become a serious problem for the team very shortly. And that's the issue. So this, um... This was an issue that eluded me for a long time. Like, I had the first issue, and I had issue three, and I think I was missing, like, four, and then I had, like, five through, like, whatever was current. But, like, this issue I couldn't find for a long time, and I think I only read it after Marvel released, like, that, like, a first trade of, like, the first four or five issues of Thunderbolts, I think. So that's, like, how I initially read this issue. So that was that. Was that the Justice like Lightning trade? Yeah. That, yep. I think it had that, and maybe like the Spider-Man team up issue where they appeared. But yeah, yeah. It yeah. says because it says like this was reprinted in Thunderbolts First Strikes, and then Thunderbolts Justice like Lightning. So the the First Strikes was probably like one of those things where they. I'm guessing they probably put like two or three issues into like you know, a single comic or something yeah. like that to let people catch up. And then I think the Justice Like Lightning was, like, the trade that had, like you're saying, like, the probably, I think it was, like, what, like, the first five issues and then some of those, like, extras, like you're saying, yeah. the Spider-Man team-up and stuff like, like that. that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I probably just a broken record, but I, th this was in that batch of issues that I got up at, you know, university up in stanford from that one comic store and it was like i was telling you guys they were all you know it was one of those comic stores where i i think four was like the latest issue or something like that and then if you just kept digging you you'd find the other ones behind the stack yeah. of the most recent issues so i think for me this was interesting rereading it as a single issue because i'm pretty sure the first and only time i read this issue was like in a big gluttonous binge of like the first four issues you know because like wizard basically told me to read this because it was super <laughs> cool and like i i think i just ripped through all of these and went man like why can't all marvel comics be this good because it was like it was this and in uh kazar that i was reading and 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 it's funny because i know i know we'll eventually talk about it but i don't think i ever read that special the, the tales of the marvel universe the the comic that was designed to get me to check out all the new series i and i think what you know like like we were saying what got me to check it out was you know the wizard kind of you know promotional type you know pitches in in you know the articles and things like that so it was kind of interesting just reading this you know standalone like on its own and everything like that like you know and then of course like you said i mean i was i was super happy to see franklin richards i love franklin richards i think uh you know the the, the stuff i think that stood out to me was you know i, I liked seeing you know beetle you know kind of getting his groove on with songbird because i know that's going to be like a big kind of you know running subplot throughout the years and everything like that and it's cool to see it and it's you know this is the the burgeoning romance or whatever, yeah. you know, like, like the, seeing it start up and everything. And, they, you know, they seem, you know, for, for supervillains, they seem pretty, pretty nice with one another. You know, like he's he's trying to take her under his wing and, and, and teach her a little bit about flying because, you know, he's been the beetle for years and years and knows all the ins and outs about doing loop the loops and all this kind of stuff. And, of course, Screaming Mimi has never flown in her life, so she's she's kind of scared out of her mind every time she puts on those wings and, and actually flies. Cause she has very little experience with it. And she's just used to, you know, you know, she's used to being a, you know, a black canary type, you know, just kind of, yeah. you know, screaming at people and knocking them over and stuff. So this is the first time she's using, you know, sonics to help her fly and everything. And, and I, I did like that moment where 
Franklin's like, oh, these bubbles are like my mom's, but they're pink, you know, and stuff, <laughs> you know. So it's like there's 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 cool bits in in this issue, and and then you know seeing. I, I guess the other thing too is I was trying to think about it, and I was like, I guess technically, even though this is one of those comics where they don't straight out tell you, like I I mean I guess that's supposed to be Rudy Giuliani you know, who's the mayor, you know, like, I, I mean, I guess if you, if you looked at who was the mayor at the time, then it would have been him. And it's not like, it's not like it's a likeness that, that Bagley's drawing, but I mean, it, it, it could pass for, for Rudy Giuliani, you know? So I was like, oh, okay, that's kind of interesting. Like I was, I, 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 you know, at the time I probably had, didn't think of that when I was reading this, when it came off the stands, but now I'm sitting there, you know, making these connections and kind of thinking about that as, as it's going on and everything. Yeah. Like, I, I kind of like the fact that like, like you would think like, you know, Abner, Abe, like has been the beetle for so long. Like he'd have a lot of skill at like flying and stuff, but this is like the first time, like, I don't know that it confirms that basically. Like, it's like, man, you got to have some kind of like, you know, experience by this point, but you know, beetle used to be the guy who'd just show up and get his ass kicked. It's like, oh, well, you do have some kind of expertise in this field. Well, I think I think it's it's probably one of those screwball things where, you know, getting your ass kicked by the Human Torch and Spider-Man for, like, umpty-ump years. Like, in reality, like, if, if, if they were not there, he'd be making fools of, like, the police officers or whoever yeah. else was there. But it just just so happens he he bumped into a brick wall every time he went out to do it. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean he's not, you know, super skilled in aerial combat. It just means that he's he's coming up against people who are better than him, you know, as you know, in, in terms of, of, I guess, moral history, you know. I, I was going to, as I mentioned in my uh, summary, I, I, it's like, like, I get it. Like, like, you know, Franklin Richards is a kid and stuff, but like, I feel like, you know, the way like Kurt Busick wrote his dialogue, I was oh, yeah, like, yeah. kind of like, like, I don't know. It, it kind of annoys me in a way, but like, oh, yeah, man. I, I get what you're saying. Like the, you, you know, what's funny is it kind of reminds me. It's like, it's like Franklin Richards, little kid speak in this is kind of like reading, you know, classic Stanley Ben Grimm speak in a way, but done for a little kid, I guess, where it's like, you know, Susie was going down the street or whatever, but but Franklin's more kind of like, well, me and my mom and my dad and remember this and remember that and excusing me and, you know, it's like every, it's like he, he sort of slurs all his consonants and, and it's almost like he's, he's, uh, I don't know, like he's got a lisp or something. I don't know. You know, it, it's probably not intended to be any of those things, but it's like he, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's 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 trying to do all the 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 little kid speak or whatever, so you can hear it in your head. It's funny how like like you know people talk about that, and and I remember like I got into like this huge huge ass argument one time because I bought a bunch of Gambit comics. And, like, Gambit has, you know, his Cajun accent or whatever. And I know Franklin, he doesn't exactly have an accent, but he does have a, a specific speech pattern, you know, the a way he talks, you know. And, and I remember the friend I got in the fight with was all, like, pissed off because he's like, man, like, people don't think in accents. And he's like, they should just have Gambit speak, you know, think in French. And then I'm like... Yeah, but then you'd have to put the fucking brackets and then translate it from French and then there'd be multiple brackets. And I'm like, that's too fucking confusing. Like, you're crazy. And like, anyway, we got into a big fight over it or whatever. But like, that's kind of what this reminds me of. Like, because like, like this, this is what's funny. I'm looking at it now where it's like, um, thanks, Mr. Mayor. Auntie Leisha asked me to do the talking. I mean, it's kind of like it's like he learned how to speak from like, like Ben Grimm a little bit, you know, because Ben Grimm was always babysitting him and shit. So he's like, she said she didn't think she could get the words out. I just want to say that my folks, that all of them, wherever they are, they appreciate being membered like this. <laughs> and that my dad would say we got to look to the future always because it's only by being open to possibilities that we can make miracles come true. That's, that's it. That's all. I would, I would, I would have been like, man, you're like Reed Richards is rolling around in his supposed <laughs> grave. Like, 
It's like, <laughs> why did I let Ben teach him grammar? Like, I I should have I should have left that that uh, E. coli experiment in the lab or whatever and taught my son how to speak English. Yeah, exactly. I guess I was the only one here who bought it brand new off the stand. Like I I remember buying this from a Walden Books and a at a mall down the road where I was getting most of my you know monthly comics like Kazar included you know it's it's funny Derek mentions Kazar but I remember like you know specifically buying comics like Kazar and Thunderbolts from that that store as a big Fantastic Four fan like what I you know kind of take take notice here is of course the mad thinker like I always thought he was an interesting character and I I like the awesome android but I wasn't crazy about his redesign here. Like, you know, the the awesome android has a usual, like, kind of a weird block head. But it's like, I don't know, it's like a, you know, weird distorted block. But in here he got, like, a cool 90s redesign where he, you know, like, his head was kind of square and, like, goes into his neck. And he was all, like, muscular and stuff. Like, I, I wasn't crazy about that. Yeah, it's weird. It's like he's missing his little hammerhead look, I guess, is what I would kind of call it. But I, I do have to agree with the Mad Thinker, though. Like, I thought that memorial statue thingy was, like, pretty awful. So when he was, like, criticizing it, like, I was like, <laughs> yeah, man, like that. It's just hands reaching out, like, ooh, how creative. It's like a bunch of hands. Like, anybody could have thought of that. Like, I bet Franklin designed that on, like, on a napkin or something. <laughs> Alicia like, took him to like McDonald's or some shit. I'm like, you you leave Auntie Alicia alone, <laughs> Justin. <laughs> and um, the other thing as a Fantastic Four fan is, of course, like the Thunderbolts basically get control of Four Freedoms Plaza in this issue, which I was, you know, kind of uneasy about. I mean, I knew, of course, the Fantastic Four were still alive in a different reality, but I was like, man, you're given these bad guys pretending to be good guys like for freedoms plaza like that's that's weird i was like well what about all their technology and kind of like derek like i never read that tales of the marvel universe so i didn't really know that reed's dad basically stole all the technology from the government like he didn't want the government to come in and like take all this stuff he's like i'm taking this shit and you know you, you're not gonna stop me and he just like he takes all that technology and just you know zips over to like latveria with them just- um, Justin, don't you mean the gum mint? Oh yeah, gum mint. <laughs> the, the, the gum mint. Yeah, but um, the, the other stuff I liked in this issue is I like there's um, not one but like two budding romance stories going on here. I like that, and I think this issue continued my not really knowing what's going on with um meteorite. Because she's all, you know, she's still being manipulative, and she's like, you know, it's like you said, like, she calms down, what's his name, by, like, grabbing his throat and lifting him in, lifting him in the air. I was like, well, how, how would that calm anybody down, you know? Like, shouldn't she be, like, you know, trying to talk him down? And he was like, oh, I don't want your, like, psychobabble, jibberty, you know, jabber or, or That's how whatever. All, all psychiatrists should treat their, like, patients and stuff. Yeah, like, when, you know. when, the, when the psychoanalyzing doesn't work, just, like, pick them up by the throat <laughs> and body slam them. You know, yeah. there, there are people who certainly deserve a good choke out. Sometimes <laughs> all you can do is choke a bitch to make them see your point of view. <laughs> but, like, I, I felt like... I never really had like a good handle for that character, and I, I don't know if it's because I didn't read a lot of her previous appearances, which I'm sure we'll get into that, you know, in the, later in this episode. But yeah, I just I never felt like I got a good handle for that character. I guess is what I'm saying. But yeah, I I, I really enjoyed this issue, and you know, as usual, it has really great artwork from Mark Bagley. So I I always appreciate his artwork. I always basically, like, I think we probably said this before, but I treated, like, Meteorite slash Moonstone as, like, the star scream of this book, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, she's I, definitely she's definitely the, the right hand to, to Zemo in this case, and she's she's definitely got her eye on the prize, you know? So there, there are those elements she definitely has in common with Starscream. I was going to say, like, I, I, as alluded to by my avatar and what I've said in the summary, it's like, I love that moment where, like, you know, Franklin thinks, like, the energy beam is like Cyclops' optic blast, but it's really from the fixer. And he's like, you don't need no stinking X-Men, like, youngster. 
And, like, Franklin's, like, totally buying it. He's like, cool! Like, it's the Thunderbolts! Like, like I don't know. Like, I thought that was, like... It could have even been, like, a, like a actual, like, you know, meta-commentary or something where it's, like... You well, know, he actually... even, even kind of looks, like, not, not only does he have the little beam that comes out of the the headpiece that he's wearing, you know, with his techno equipment and stuff. But, like, he almost kind of looks a little Weapon X-ish, you know, like the, the you know, the Barry Windsor Smith outfit, you know, that Wolverine yeah. had in mm. that, that comic and stuff. So, like, I, I can definitely, like, not, not only is it, you know, like, meta-commentary in the sense of the dialogue, but I think even visually it's almost like, you know, yeah, the X-Men aren't so special. I can just techno up, yeah. like, all their cool shit and be just as, quote-unquote, you know, K-E-W-L as them. You know, I just have to I just have to techno whip it up or whatever. I, I feel like if someone showed Cyclops security footage of that, he would be like, what? That's my idea. He stole my idea. <laughs> <laughs> Harlan Ellison Summers. <laughs> Hmm. Yeah. Did anybody like, get a like, anybody get a King Kong vibe when like Atlas was at the top of of Four Freedoms Plaza, like trying to take out some of those uh, androids and stuff? Yeah, he like, he even says that he's like, yeah. I think of like I'm being King Kong here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But um, when has like I know I've seen him do it before and like have this before, but like when. Did, like, the Mad Thinker have his own, like, Thinkbots, like, or Doombots, or whatever you want to call them, like? I guess that's a good question. I didn't I didn't do any research on that. I think, like, I'm trying to remember, because, like, the thing that I remember that stood out is I'm like, this is, like, the second time I can remember vaguely doing the, the Mad Thinker, because he was also in early issues of New Warriors as well, so... That's what I. That's what came to mind, but I don't know. You you mean more like in terms of him having his own little doom bots and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Because I, I I feel like he had those in the New Warriors, but it, it, maybe at some point, like maybe maybe when John Byrne was writing the FF, I don't I don't know. Like maybe I you know I I I'd I mean, have to it look makes into sense, it, but, but you know like yeah yeah. This also this issue also starts a trend that continues for like the first like ten or so issues where when the T bolts come against like a villain like they've associated with it's like that sometimes that villain is like do I know you people like like even like the Hulk and that issue of the Hulk was like wait a minute like I know you like I I recognize your voice like and I think like um they they come up against the new masters of evil in the next issue. And then, like, later on, like, Citizen V, like, talks some smack to, like, Baron Strucker. And Baron Strucker is like, who the hell is this guy? Like, I, they, how did he know that? Like, it's kind of, like, they're kind of playing, like, Baron Zemo's kind of playing it dangerous there. But uh, I think it was, like, a cool moment where, like, Thinker was like, like, you guys are not amateurs. Like, where did you come from? Yeah, because they, they, they have a certain sense of familiarity with, with one another, even though they can't. They can't quite place it. Citizen V knows, like, all about the Mad Thinker, where he's like, you know, he's probably still in the vault, because he doesn't give a shit about, like, what he says, like, creature comfort. I did like his little, I know you were knocking it, but I, I liked his little Darth Vader and Rogue One moment, where he's like, <laughs> Gentlemen, ladies, it seems our foe has lost his head! <laughs> And then I like, uh, I think Techno and Atlas give him shit about it, where they're like, like, lost his head. And he was like, never let, never let it be said I am totally without humor. And Atlas is like, wanna bet? <laughs> but yeah, like, uh, like, I liked this issue. Like I said, it was kind of elusive for me, because I didn't read it until, like, years after. And it's one of the few issues I don't actually have a, a physical copy of the single issue. But... Like, this is a good, like, yeah, like, continuation from issue one and setting the stage for that their ultimate, like, reveal, like, in issue 12, where they, they get a actual headquarters, they get more cred, they get Four Freedoms Plaza, and, you know, the mayor pretty much says, like, oh, we're gonna hold a fundraiser, so, to bankroll you guys, so... You know, as as Meteorite is worried at the end, like, it's like, it's almost going too well for us. Yeah, I don't think they expected all these pieces to fall into place as quickly as as they 
as they ended up doing, you know. One last thing, um, I like, as always, like, we like to compliment Kurt Busick for, you know, like, adhering to continuity and stuff, but, like, it's like when they, they defeat the circus of crime at the beginning, it's the news report is like, oh, they had to, like, pay for the ringmaster's medical bills, and it's like, see, like, Spider-Man team up so-and-so, because that was probably the ringmaster and the circus of crime's last appearance, and he probably got his ass beat or something, so... You can always count on... I think the next couple issues have a couple moments like that where either a character has shown up that might have been dead or seemed to have been dead, and they're just like, I thought you were dead. And But, like, like that's all you need, really. Like, you don't need a really involved explanation, but you just need some wiggle room. Like, like you know, I hate it when they just bring back a character or, you know, like like a perfect example who's also a thunderbolt like radioactive man where he shows up and he's a bad guy it's like weren't you like a good guy last time we saw you but you know one one line where it's like oh i guess your radiation is making you crazy again or something like i think we'll even you know if people tune in to the next half of the episode we'll, we'll even see an example of that in the second half of the show so you want to move on to that Tales of the Sure, yeah, Thunderbolts? Let's, yeah, yeah, Tales of the Marvel Universe, where they're trying to pimp and promote like all these different titles that were coming out at the time. This came out in well, I guess the on sale date was December 1996, but the cover date is February 1997. It had a cover price of 295. It was 48 pages. And it, it's written by uh, a good number of people, like, because, you know, it's like Mark Wade was writing the, the Kazar book at the time, so he wrote, like, the Kazar pages, and then Kurt Busick wrote the Thunderbolts pages, and, you know, so on and so forth. It's got a pretty cool cover from uh, Carlos Pacheo, and the uh, Thunderbolts feature, you know, was Kurt Busick written, penciler was Mark Bagley. So it, it's kind of cool because... Basically, like, you know, there's there's basically a bunch of, you know, th this is kind of like the aftermath of Onslaught. So it's like they're, they're trying to set up like, OK, all the heroes you knew at the end of Onslaught are believed to be dead. And, you know, who knows when they're actually going to come back and everything. So, you know, who who's left to sort of pick up the slack and everything. And so it starts out with, like, Kazar and the Savage Land, and they get, like, the radio transmission all the way in Antarctica about, you know, what happened with Onslaught. They're, they're basically, like, you know, it, Justin pretty much described the Fantastic Four segment pretty well, but it's like Nathaniel Richards basically, you know, keeps Reed Richards technology and everything in the Baxter building out of the hands of the government by like transporting it to the negative zone and kind of hiding it there until they eventually return and everything. And then you, you had all these sort of supporting characters from the Fantastic Four that were kind of left over from that book, like, you know, the Scott Lang Ant-Man and, and Cassie Lang. And then, you know, you had um, Christoph and, you know, all these guys just basically, you know, Christoph and, and Nathaniel Richards go back to, Latveria, and then, you know, I guess Ant-Man and uh, his daughter go off and, you know, I don't know, do whatever they did and stuff like that. And um, and so, you know, you, you've also got, you know, uh, War Machine there who's basically trying to, you know, stop, you know, the same kind of situation from happening with, with Tony Stark's technology and everything, keep, keep that out of the hands of, you know, bad guys or, or people that would corrupt it, you know, that kind of thing. And then, you Oh know, yeah. Isn't, isn't, I, I didn't read the other stories, but isn't this where he loses his like alien armor or whatever? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, and, and then, and then they've got like another segment with like Dr. Strange getting all like, I don't know, he, he gets orgasmic because he finds out that, you know, all the Avengers and the FF aren't really for reals dead and everything. But the, 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 you know, the, the part that we're there to talk about is essentially the Thunderbolt section. And, you know, that it's only a couple pages. I mean, Mark Bagley draws a bunch of pages with like these, these, uh, this New York cabbie. And so they're in a bar and they're seeing on the TV screen, all this news about the Thunderbolts. And actually it's kind of neat because we had just talked about the incredible Hulk issues, in the, in the last podcast and here on the TV screen, you've got the uh, recap of those issues and, and it's done with the Mark Bagley art. So I thought that was kind of cool to see the same thing, but from, 
somebody who conceivably is the Thunderbolts artist, you know, as opposed to, you know, when, you know, when we read the Hulk issue and everything. And then you've got the Thunderbolts basically, you know, in the, the, the meat of the story after the, you know, the televised thing. And then this cabbie telling the story about how he gave the invisible woman a ride once and freaked out because he saw like a floating fiber in the, you know, you know, floating around his cab or whatever. Um, but then, then basically they, they, you know, you see that the Thunderbolts are actually helping New York city firefighters, you know, combat displays and they save people from a burning building and, you know, Citizen V's like, you know, we are at your disposals, you know, New York City firefighters and the firefighters like, thank God for you, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, that's that's basically, you know, there's not too much to the story other than you, you start out with this cabbie and these guys in the bar going, nobody's ever going to replace the Avengers and the FF. And by the end of it, they're like, hey, these Thunderbolts guys, they're all right. You know, and that that's supposed to be the the turn, you know, that you see in the the popular public opinion, you know, like you see it, it, it starts out as, well, are these guys really for here? Real heroes. Did they really do anything heroic when they fought the Hulk? And then by the end of it, they're like, Hey, they saved a bunch of people with the firefighters. Like these guys are all right. You know? And so you, you see the kind of public opinion going in the Thunderbolts favor and everything, which is, you know, as, as it should be for the, the purposes of the story and everything. And, and that's, basically the long and short of it the, the main reason why i wanted to include it is because it seemed like in issue two it was like every five minutes there was like one of those little you know editor's notes where it's like as seen in tales of the marvel universe as seen in tales of the marvel universe and i'm kind of surprised maybe because i binge read through those four issues so fast and that was not one of them it's like i i don't think i ever went back and bought this or read this so i guess i guess it didn't work on me when I when I bought the actual issues, but now that I was reading just this isolated issue, I was like, "Oh wait, maybe I'm like we're supposed to be doing this chronologically. Maybe we should talk about it, you know." And so that's that's kind of why I just said, "Hey, maybe we should read it and just mention it." But I don't know what, what like had uh, like Justin said he had never read it before. Had you read this before, Mike? Yeah, the like the Thunderbolt story is included with uh, I think that trade I had in. Oh, okay. And, okay. and like the first volume of Thunderbolts Classics, which I also possess. So Okay, yeah. cool, cool. Like I I don't think I read it in the wild though. I I for sure hadn't read it until we we came across this tonight. So this is yeah, this, this is, is a new one for me. This is something that always eluded my grasp. I I knew it existed, of course. Uh but I just never could find it. It definitely was not at the Walden Books, where I was buying, you know, most of my Marvel comics, and I, you know, I remember going to some comic book shops in Knoxville and looking, and they didn't have it either. And even going to like a few, a few small conventions in the area and not finding it. And I just kind of, I just kind of gave up, and I was kind of bummed because mostly I wanted to read the Kazar portion. I mean, I, you know, I wanted it because of you know, Kazar and the Thunderbolts because I was reading both of those books. But my, mostly I wanted the Kazar section. Like, for, for some reason, I thought that was super important to the title. But upon reading it now, I'm like, well, it wasn't that important. It's just, you know, Kazar gets like a uh, Tony Stark uh, Walkman and he finds out all the heroes are gone. And that's that's kind of it. But uh, but like I said, it did it did tie up some stuff for me where, you know, we find out what happened to like all the Fantastic Four technology and, you know, wrapping up some stuff with like Scott Lang and Cassie and Kristoff and Lyja, uh, who I, I was always kind of fascinated by that character. And she has a long and storied history with the Fantastic Four that I'm not going to get into now, but I, w- I always felt bad for her as a character because she was pretty important in the book for a while. And then, after this, she goes away, and we really don't see her for a very, very long time. And then when yeah. she does come back, I think she's kind of like to evils slightly. Isn't something. it like secret yeah. invasion? Yeah, when she comes yeah. back next yeah. time. Yeah. I think I think this is like the next time you see her, and then it's like all you know, kind of lame and stuff. And you you you're right. It is it is where Rhodey like kind of uses the alien armor to to safeguard Tony's secrets, and he's got that big 
fucking smile on what his face. The, the, the Edelon warware. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. like, he's like, I got rid of that stupid fucking armor, and he's like, <laughs> smiles as he walks off into the sunset or whatever. Like, I know, like, see, I know I've read that. Like, maybe that was like isolated somewhere, and I read it. Like, I think I think I've got like the first volume of like War Machine, like classic or or something. Something maybe. Oh, it's okay. A, Heroes yeah, or yeah, maybe or something. Yeah, forgot, maybe but... maybe they included it with that. Yeah. Yeah. The the final story, you know, when Doctor Strange finds out everyone's alive, like I I was kind of reading it like when Piccolo's on Namek, he's like, "They're alive. This is incredible." <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> By Agamotto. Yes. Yes. <laughs> no, what I no, one thing I liked about this story that is that was highlighted that like I don't like I guess like it's obvious, but it like kind of escaped my like like I guess attention. But it's like the the cabbie points out like you know look at this Citizen V guy like you know Cap carried a shield, but this guy carries a sword. So what does that tell you? And like I'm like yeah that is a kind of good like I don't know juxtaposition like like clearly Baron Zemo wanted to model his like hero identity after like a Captain America archetype, but. You know, obviously he's a swordsman, so, like, the sword is that. But it's also, like, a kind of a, a nice, like, you know, direct visual, like, indication of their differences. I, I kind of was thinking about the Ninja Turtles when this came up, in a way. And it's because of the Mad Thinker using his robot duplicate body. Because, you know, all you can think of is, well, Citizen V could not get away with decapitating the real mad thinker and putting his head up on a sword pipe but since it is like you know the robotic foot soldiers of the turtles cartoon you can get away with wholesale slaughter of guys as long as you you know it's like the network guys tell each other larry they're just they're robots they're not people you know and everybody's like oh okay well that's fine then you know and so so in this in this sense you can also have Zemo effectively utilize his sword in a badass manner, but yet there's no blood splatter. He's not killing anyone. You know, Citizen V is still this upstanding, heroic figure who can, you know, secretly manipulate the public into adoring him. But, you know, there, there's no... It's not like it's not like he's, you know, Conan or some shit, where he's like, you know, by Krom, I will stab you, Mad Thinker. And Mad Thinker's like, gurgle, you know no arrows and he falls over and dies you know like that kind of thing the last thing i want to mention is the cabbie and his story about encountering sue like that goes all the way back to fantastic four number one because like when reed fires the signal flare for everyone to come together like sue's just kind of out in the city and she's like you know catches a cab ride and for whatever reason she's invisible and you see this little like dollar bill floating to the cabin he's just like oh what and he kind of freaks out oh that's kind of cool like i guess you shouldn't expect anything less from kurt Busick, but like yeah, yeah i just kind of assume that was like a made-up thing but nope. it's like the, with the sliding timeline it's like in 63 it was a dollar i said it was five dollars but <laughs> in reality if we do the sliding timeline today it's like a hundred dollar bill or something <laughs> yeah. i like um also like at the end like Citizen V or Baron Zemo makes like avoids the mistakes that like Norman Osborn used to make when he was the Iron Patriot where like his Dark Avengers would show up on a scene and then he'd go and talk to the news and he'd be like hey why don't you bring in some more news cameras but like Citizen V is like there's no time for that like to action like I'm like yeah that's like the smart thing to do if you want to keep up appearances yeah but no one's ever accused Norman Osborn than his cornrow cousin William Baker <laughs> of being man. smart, you know. <laughs> Moonstone should have given him like you know, you know, Citizen V like kind of ignored the cameras when we were doing this gag the first time. Norman Osborn could have just been like, Meh! like I will not listen to you. I need to make goblin babies and go to <laughs> Europe. I have important business and plane tickets. Plane tickets. Well, we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about plane tickets in the next half of this. Yeah, yes. you can bet your bet your donuts for talking about plane tickets. <laughs> all right, so like I think that's all we have to say about this tale, right? And anyone else, or 
I am good. All right, so we'll take a quick break, and we will come back with Captain America 192, so stay tuned. The Fantastic Arts is your guide to the Fantastic Four from the beginning of the Marvel Age of Comics in 1961 onwards. Each week, Steve Lacey and Andy Leyland cover every issue, spin-off, guest appearance and cameo, and more. And in 2015, we begin our journey through the decade that tastes forgot, the 1970s. Join us as we take a look at... The departure of Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. The Kree Skrull War. The arrival of Marvel Team-Up. Bill Murray as the Human Torch. Creators including Roy Thomas, George Perez, Marv Wolfman, Jerry Conway, Rich Buckler and John Byrne. And of course, Marvel 2-in-1. All this and more at ffcast.libsyn.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. The Fantastic Cast. Insert catchy tagline here. Wait, what? Hey folks, welcome back, and uh, as promised, we will be talking about uh, Captain America 192, a historical first for our Thunderbolts-like history lesson. Uh, uh, Derek, why don't you uh, give us the lowdown on Captain America 192? Sure, so Captain America 192 had a cover date of December 1975, but the actual on-sale date was September 9th, 1975, it had a whopping cover price of, oh my god, a quarter, 25 cents. It had the editor of uh, the the late, great Len Wein, and the title was Mad Flight. And the writer was Marv Wolfman, penciler was Frank Robbins, and this, too, was reprinted in Thunderbolts, Marvel's Most Wanted trade paperback from 1998. And I sort of, you know, stole the synopsis from the Marvel Wiki, but I kind of cleaned it up so that I actually liked what it was saying. So here we go. Steve Rogers ponders the current state of affairs regarding his partner, the Falcon, while headed to LAX. When he finds out his two options to get back to New York City are to either wait four more hours for the next flight or bust his ass to make the next flight that is immediately leaving, he jumps the gate and uses his S.H.I.E.L.D. identity clearance card to book passage on a charter flight. Upon boarding the plane, he is startled to discover the entire cabin is filled with thugs and criminals that look like they come straight out of guys and dolls. A blonde-haired woman named Carla Sofin ushers everyone to their seats, securing all the passengers' firearms as they board. Steve simply verbalizes he has no peace because he doesn't need one. As the plane takes off down the runway, Roger discovers the man coordinating this particular congregation of mobsters is his old foe, Dr. Faustus. Faustus provides a slideshow for his underlings, detailing his plan to pillage Manhattan using Stark International weaponry. Having heard enough, Steve rushes to the restroom where he changes into Captain America. Cap bursts out of the cabin and plows through the assembled goons. Since most of them had their firearms confiscated, they attack the shield slinger with switchblades and blackjacks. Cap muscles his way towards the front of the plane, where Faustus stands waiting for him. Two of Faustus's bodyguards keep Cap at bay with two handheld sonic depressors. One blast from such a weapon can paralyze an individual, shutting down their mental faculties in the process. Faustus will use these same weapons to hold Manhattan hostage and extract his demands from the city. Cap rushes towards Faustus, but the sonic depressor goes off during their confrontation. Even though at first it looks like Faustus has been shot, it turns out Cap has actually been hit with the beam and collapses. By the time the plane arrives in New York, though, Cap has shaken off the effects of the sonic depressor and attacks Faustus. One of the other criminals, named Heels, withdraws a pistol from his derby as earlier he had a pistol hidden in his shoe heel and tries to shoot Captain America. However, the bullet misses and strikes the plane window instead. The plane immediately begins to decompress and Faustus gets sucked out the window, seemingly to his death 
never to return again! Even though we find out later he had a parachute <laughs> under his jacket in Amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> plane tickets to Europe! Cap then lands the plane, and thanks to calling the flight 911, New York's finest are waiting for him at JFK International Airport to arrest Faustus's men. The epilogue sees Captain America strutting through pre-Mayor Giuliani Times Square back when it was a cesspool, like when Rorschach walks through Times Square in Watchmen. The end. So this was Captain America 192. Just for me, like this, I think the first time I read this was during my big gigantic run through. Like I was, I was basically either rereading or reading for the first time, like every single issue of Captain America, or at least maybe the, the, the modern, you know, Silver Age Marvel start of Captain America, and that was back a little bit. I was getting excited about the first Avenger coming out to the movies, so I, I did a whole big read-through and did a little top ten list when that came out, and so as part of my process in doing that, I read, you know, basically like all the Captain America stories. And this, of course, was, was one of the many issues that I did in my, you know, giant read-through project of all those issues. So that's basically where I first read this. I think, for me, I mean, you, you may or may not be able to tell by my avatar in my little comment I have on it, but, like, reading this now, I'm kind of, like, thinking, like, oh... Like, Moonstone, before she was Moonstone, was, like, Dr. Faustus's like, Harley Quinn or something. Like, she's just kind of like a, a gun mall, you know? She's, she kind of looks like a blonde baroness from G.I. Joe. She's got, like, the, the, you know, bullet bandolier straps on either side. Kind of looks like Roadblock a little bit kind of thing. And, and then, you know, of course, I'm thinking, like, you know, she's sitting there going, you know, what are we going to do now? You know, and stuff like that. Like, so it's, it's, you know, I I can't say like this particular run of cap issues was, was my favorite or anything. I mean, you know, like there, there are runs of cap that I really, really like, and this is not a bad issue of Captain America, but it's by no means like my favorite by any stretch of the imagination Um, either. Who who was the artist? Uh, Frank Robbins. Yeah, he's not someone I'm too familiar with, but like he, was he was he just filling in here or I I'm trying to remember. I think he did the issue like the issues before this. Like this is right before Jack Kirby came back to Yeah, cuz I, I was kind of like he's kind of like I was like he's kind of trying to do a Kirby thing and then I when I kept, got to the last page I was like, "Oh, like the real thing is coming back like next issue." Okay. This this is not like one of his better issues. I mean, he he did a lot of issues of like one of my favorite comics, The Invaders. Like he even drew Invaders number 11, which is my first comic ever. So I I like his art, and he did some issues of like Detective Comics and has some issues yeah, for DC. Yeah. Or like Superboy, stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, but like this is not this is not his strongest work here. Like there's many um, shots of Cap where he looks really kind of cartoony. Like I, I guess maybe he was just you know hurting for time and you know did, did did the best he could. But like when I was reading this, I was like, man, like this this is not that good. Yeah, I mean, I think he did. Like he he did, I'm I'm double checking it now, but it looks like he did about a year's worth of stories, give or take. Like, cause cause he he you know obviously he does not continue on to issue 193 because that's when Jack Kirby comes back to the book. But like I think he he worked on this book from like the one like the 180s and on. So almost I'd say almost like a year's worth of of work. And this is not you know. Th- th- I don't know, the, the, you know, the, the stuff that came before this, you know, there there were, you know, it's like, I, I always post, like, funny panels from it, because they've got Falcon's, like, you know, PMS girlfriend, Leela, or whatever, you know, like, so, like, that that, that is not my, like, favorite run of Cap, but, you know, it's, it's fine, I mean, this is, you know, this to me, it's like, this is an interesting historical kind of thing in terms of Thunderbolts, because you're like, oh, this is kind of interesting to see where 
where Moonstone came from. You know, like, I mean, she's essentially she's like one of those, you know, gun malls from the 66 Batman Adam West show, you know, like except for she's a, a bit more kind of gritty, you know, like she's she's a bit more, you know, tougher or whatever. You know. I'm kind of I'm kind of surprised that like I don't think this like portion of her backstory was ever very like like explored like very deeply in Thunderbolts like they always you know they always explore her backstory as a psychologist and stuff but they never really well like, go... but I I guess like that that's kind of why I made the crack about how she's Doctor Faustus's Harley Quinn because really I mean what I mean you know I know Faustus obviously has you know manipulative means on how to get people to do what he wants by using his voice. But it's not like he was not a psychologist. You know what I mean? Like, like to me, I'm like, Oh, I like, I, it kind of, to me, like hit a little light bulb where I was like, Oh, she's just kind of like, you know, I mean, I know, I know, you know, women everywhere are going to be upset. All zero women that listen to this podcast, but like, you know, like, like I was just kind of like sitting there going like, Oh, she's just like a girl version of, it's like she grows up to be a girl version of Dr. Faustus. You know, only she has to literally manipulate people. She doesn't have Faustus's, you know, you know, verbal superpower, you know, that, that makes people do what he wants them to do. But other than that, I was just kind of thinking, oh, well, you know, maybe, I don't know. It seems like, I, I see what you're saying. They could have done more with this. Like, because it seems like, it seems sort of logical to me in retrospect, or that you could make it, you could make it very logical, you know, like this, this, yeah. I mean, as ridiculous as it sounds, you know, that she's gun-toting and running around, you know, as the, the basically the, the gun mall stewardess on this plane, but it's like, it's like she also kind of is, is, you know, basically doing an internship with Dr. Faustus, so no wonder she goes on yeah, to become like it, it, a it manipulative psychologist. It makes yeah. total sense, yeah. I'm just surprised, like, it never came up again, it feels like. And, you know, it, to me it's hilarious where it's like, you know, it really does look like Dr. Faustus is deader than a doornail. But <laughs> yeah, course, that, you know, that's it's, my thought. Yeah. It, it's one of those things where you're like, oh, I was like, how did Dr. Faustus get out of that? And, and sure enough, you know, classic Marvel comics, like all you have to do is go to his next appearance in Amazing Spider-Man. And, and you know, and then he's like, you know, basically monologuing to Spider-Man going, you know, Spider-Man even is like, I heard you were dead. And it's like, no shit, we all thought you were dead. Like, you, you got sucked out of plane, bro. And then it's like, it's like, guess what? Like, there was a parachute underneath my jacket! And he, like, takes off his jacket, and then there's, like, a parachute, and he just, like, you know, floats down. Well, and everything's all good. At, at some point, he clearly watched Goldfinger and took notes. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, oh, that's not happening to me. I'm going to be prepared. You're like, <clears throat> uh, yes, someone watched Goldfinger and took notes. It was, I think it was what Jerry Conway that was writing that at the time. So that, that's who it must have been. So, is it like, is her very next appearance the one where she actually gets the moonstone, or does she continue on? Like, no, she doesn't continue on like this. But I'm, I'm trying to remember because, like, she's in the the next appearance, which I'm sure we'll you know look at at some point. But the the next time she shows up is in Incredible Hulk, but I I don't remember if she has the costume in the very first issue or not because it's like I, I remember like she hangs out with Leonard Sampson and they're like oh I'm a psychiatrist you know and I'm a psychologist and you know they're they're like basically colleagues and stuff but but it you know of course it turns out she's a bad you know I'm a bad girl or whatever but you know I I don't remember if she has the costume in the first appearance or not but i know by the end of that arc like i think it's like it's like two or three issues worth where she's in the hulk and then by the end of it she's definitely moonstone in in costume talk about like taking a character and really doing something with her because like in this issue she's she's basically like what derek said she's just an evil stewardess and that's that's kind of it she doesn't really do much but like i mean talk about like all the work that went to the character, like making her Moonstone and then making her like Meteorite. Like, I mean, who would imagine like this character who's like, if you just read this issue and you have no knowledge, you wouldn't think she would go on to become anything. Like you would just think she's, you know, window dressing for Faustus or something. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's really, she's really barely in the the comic. Yeah. 
I was just gonna say, like, now from now on, when we see her in Thunderbolts, is she gonna be like, "Whatever you say, Mister Z." <laughs> yes, exactly. Derek, I don't know if you noticed the credits, but Marv Wolfman is credited as writer slash editor. Yes, yes. Which, <laughs> of course, that that explains the quality of the book, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Like, you know, so there you go. It's like, what is this writer editor bullshit? <laughs> I'm with <laughs> Shooter. Didn't, like, yeah, I was gonna say Shooter had that rule that you couldn't edit and write your own book. Well, yeah, that, that, yeah, that's because of all this crap. Because the, 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 like in the '70s when they were all smoking dope and being stupid, like all these guys were writer editors. It's like Roy Thomas and Marv Wolfman and Steve Gerber and like all all the like really hot writers back then. They were all like writer editors. That's why you know, I mean, I don't know. To to me, it's like that never made sense to me. But I'm sure, I'm sure you know other people. People who did it at the time would, you know, have their own justifications about, you know, why it was done and, you know, why, why they, you know, should be getting paid for two jobs when they were doing one and all that other stuff. But, you know, I, I always thought that was kind of weird. But, yeah. I, I was wondering if, like, some of the stuff at the beginning with, like, the flights and the kooky people Cap or, you know, Cap slash Steve runs into, I was like, is this, like, you know, did Marv Wolfman have like a weird experience, like on an airplane? And he was like, "I can use this in a comic," and you know, you know it in? was weird. And I, I didn't want to get too deep into it, but Cap has this line where, I mean, I, I literally used it in the description where I talk, I talk about comparing all these these mob guys to guys and dolls. But he says. He says this is like the remake of Guys and Dolls, and and you know maybe I'm film centric because you know obviously Guys and Dolls was a musical, it was done on you know Broadway and all these other places and stuff. So I don't know if maybe a better turn of phrase would have been the revival of Guys and Dolls because, but then I don't know if they were like afraid that like Cap would seem dated if he like goes to plays instead of movies or whatever. But like I was just kind of thinking like there there was not you know to me I think a remake is like when i hear the word remake i think of a film not not a play like yeah. a play is usually the terminology is there is a revival of the play you know what i mean like they mm-hmm. they they did it in this place at this time and the revival happened and so i was like just looking just for giggles cuz they have a bunch of listings of like all the different you know revivals and stuff and i was like you know the only revival that would have been going on was one in 19 19- 76 but then it's funny because they they basically said they had an all-black cast and i was just kind of like well that can't be what he's talking about right because like these guys all look like kind of like you know you know the kind of you know cartoon colorful you know mobsters like that showed up in the it's a bird it's a plane it's superman you know where you know they look like they're out of guys and dolls they have these like you know orange and purple pinstripe suits and stuff and i'm just like well he can't be talking about that can he like i don't know maybe but i i I just i thought it was a weird turn of phrase and it didn't make too much sense to me because i'm like the only movie is you know the the frank sinatra and and marlon brando you know like i was like there's no other I mean, I I think they wanted to try and make a newer version of it, but I don't think there is any other film version of Guys and Dolls other than that. Like, I had never read this before, so, like, I, I, I appreciate being exposed to this stuff. And, like, like if, if you asked me, like, what the first appearance of Moonstone was, I probably would have said it's somewhere in Incredible Hulk, isn't it? Like, like well, so, te- technically, yeah. technically, you'd be right. I mean, yeah, like a Moonstone, or, I guess, yeah, as yeah. Moonstone, yeah. yeah. But Carla Soften, I guess, yeah. Yeah, this is this was cool. Cool. Groovy. Sehr groovy. So yeah, any anything else or so I, I I guess that's it then. Uh, that that's it for this episode of Justice Not Entirely Dissimilar to Lightning. Uh, Derek, why don't you tell everyone where else they can find us? If you've enjoyed listening to Justice Not Entirely Dissimilar to Lightning, you can check out all of our spinoff shows over on fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. We've got plenty of other shows. We've got Mobile Suit Mondays, Transformers Tuesdays, Toku Thursdays, Sentai Saturdays, Comics Motherfucker, Do You Read Them, Big in Japan, where we talk about anime and the Fanholes podcast proper. We are on all kinds of cool social media, iTunes, Twitter, 
Tumblr, Instagram, Facebook. So we appreciate all the likes and feedback and shares and hearts and retweets and all that good stuff. And yeah, so we we hope you consider you know supporting this show. And and if you like this show, check out our other shows. Nice. So uh, this is Mike signing off with a parachute under my jacket. So if I get sucked out of the, this podcast, this is Derek Derek WC signing off. Explosions am cool, Auntie Leisha. This is Justin signing off, sweetheart. Uh oh, it's the government. The government took my plaza. Taking my Su- inventions. S- Susan, I need your permission to shoot our son with a grammar improving <laughs> ray. It's like, hello, I am Franklin Richards. I now have a beard, and I'm written by Jonathan Hickman. And they're like, whew, thank God. <laughs> thank God. He looks at the kid, Franklin. He's like, we don't need you anymore. It's like, <laughs> it's like Galactus finally taught our boy how to speak. He's got like a little tear in his eye. That's okay. Auntie Leisha will buy him all the new Thunderbolts action figures. Auntie Leisha, that's not Cyclops, that's Fixer, or Techno. Techno with Tech Pack action. Techno. Shoots a spring-loaded missile. (laughs) Shoots Cyclops blasts out of his eyes. (laughs) Citizen V with robot decapitating action. Yeah. I think Emissary must have read this comic, and he was like, hey, I can make uh, Metroplex into Cyclops. That's cool. (laughs) Emissary with personality? Yes. Yeah. Can can I actually take a break really quick? Yes. Yeah, sure. Okay, I'll be right back. Go for it. There will be no breaks for you! There will be no breaks. You're going to have to grab Justin by the throat and be like, if you take a break... The public will not, you know, <laughs> will see right through us. We, we have to look scrapping like we're really in need of a bathroom. So they give us yeah. the national the superhero key security. To the mayor, to the mayor's bathroom. Like, Whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We were, we were just lowly guys fighting crime out of a pizzeria. And then we moved into Four Freedoms Plaza. Franklin, yeah, we'll do it in front of Franklin Richards, and he'll be like, "Gosh, Mister, like you can use my dad's toilet." There were explosions all over the place, <laughs> and then they came in and wazoo, wha bam! Like, <laughs> and reads like Jesus Christ. <laughs> Thought that kid had a talk. <laughs> reads like I'm going back to the Heroes Reborn universe. <laughs> Sue's like, this is because you're always in the lab with experiments. Too busy to teach I'll our just, son I'll, how to talk I'll just, English. I'll just build a Herbie that teaches him grammar. Like Benjamin. Mm. Okay, I'm back. Right. We were making fun of you while you were gone. Yes. I expect nothing less. <laughs> we, were, we were like, we were like, uh, we should have grabbed you by the throat and been like, Justin, if you take a break, the public will not buy this podcast. Like, <laughs> uh, they, they've not been buying it for the past, like, seven years. Anyway, <laughs> I guess, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Uh, I'm like, been, are you mad? We've been giving this away for free? <laughs>